0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from guaranteed rate field in Chicago. It's the White Sox 7, the Cleveland Guardians 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. But this was a tough one. This two bad games in a row from your Cleveland Guardians. And, you know, I mean, at this point in the season, when you're sitting a game under 500. You start to change expectations uh, for how this thing can can end. And even though this game kind of sucked and we really got beat bad by the uh, by the White Sox, I mean, they were already up five nothing before we even put a run on the board and then they answer right back and win the inning with two more in the seventh in the bottom of the seventh. I'm gonna try to look for the positives, but there aren't many. There aren't many in this one. It's a rough loss. And for some reason, the White Sox, even though they've been having a terrible season, we've struggled against the American League Central. We've This is the one thing that has been our calling card for, like, I feel the entire, entire Terry Francona era is being able to handle the American League Central, and we're, we're just not doing it right now. And we talked about this on Thursday's game. Remember, Thursday after the Amon Rosario trade, we were talking about how this team looked like they were in a great headspace. And they look like a team that was ready to compete down the stretch. And after these last two games, and we talked about how the White Sox look completely lost. And after these last two games, it doesn't feel like that anymore. feels like we're the team that's lost. The White Sox are swinging free and easy. They're trying to hit as many home runs as they can. Meanwhile, we are, I mean, we've just lost it offensively we had plenty of runners on base i mean we had nine hits in this game if steven kwan was trying his best with a three-hit day in the top of the lineup but just i mean we ground into a double play twice on him twice i thought we got rid of ahmed rosario so that we'd stop doing that and instead we ground into a double play twice on kwan he has to be so frustrated every time that happens so yeah, uh, I'm I'm gonna try to find the positives as this season goes on because things things aren't going great right now in Guardians Land. It's it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's there's there's some dark clouds in Guardians Land right now. So let's get into this. Let's get into this game. It was Logan Allen on the mound for the Guards, and he did not have a good day. D- despite attacking the strike zone and being aggressive with his pitches. He goes six innings pitched, gives up eight hits, five earned runs, three walks, four strikeouts, two home runs on 90 pitches. He is hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. And, uh, you know, the two home runs both come on inside fastballs. One of them goes to Tim Anderson, which, shockingly, it's his first home run of the season which is just absolutely wild to say but Logan Allen missed with some fastballs inside he you know the lefty the lefty threw some fastballs across his body inside of these right-handed hitters and you know Tim Anderson's a guy that has you know in the past hit 15 to 20 home runs uh not a super power hitter more of an average guy, uh, you know, a 300-batting average kind of guy. Last year, he only had six home runs, so the power was already slipping. And this year, it's his first home run. A game, man, this late in the season. Is it game 81 for the White Sox? Um, no, what a, no, he's played in 81 games. Sorry, I'm looking, at his, I'm looking at his stat sheet. He's played in 81 games. It's Tim Anderson's 81st game of the season. Right. Everybody's up over 100 games at this point. Um, So, yeah, he missed with a fastball inside. And I went to look at Logan Allen's numbers, and that fastball has been hit hard by the right-handed hitters. Uh, He's given up seven home runs on that four-seam fastball. Six of them have come from right-handed hitters. You know, and teams do that. They load up right-handed hitters when they see a lefty on the mound, and the the righties are they're hitting 241 off his fastball. So, actually, the batting average isn't terrible. Uh, it's slightly above uh, what they're hitting combined. Com- overall, combined lefties and righties are hitting 235 off his fastball. Just the righties are hitting 241. Uh, combined against his fastball, it's a 455 slugging. Uh, just the righties are slugging 464. So, so it is an increase there. Um, you know, in, in, uh, in the slugging and the batting average for those right-handed hitters, uh, the whiff rate on that pitch is 19.1, but the whiff rate off of right-handers, it's very minimal 18.8. So just a slight difference there. Uh, but they are, I mean, the extra base hits is where it's really at. Uh, left-handed hitters have two extra base hits off his fastball uh, two extra base two extra base hits a double and a home run off of his fastball right-handed hitters have seven doubles and six home runs off of his fastball. so again we talk about this sometimes you know things to keep an eye on see how pitchers you know change how they how they progress how, how they make adjustments. When the league is doing something to him. And we got to keep an eye on this. Logan Allen versus right-handed hitters. The power that they're showing. The extra base hits that they're getting off him. That's not good. It's not good if righties are feasting off of his fastball. Uh, So it happens in this game. Both Tim Anderson and uh, and Andrew Vaughn get inside fastballs kind of up above the belt. And uh, they both drive them uh, for home runs. Tim Anderson's again the first batter of the game for the White Sox. He goes 108.2 miles per hour to left field, nine, uh, four, 29 degree launch angle, 429 feet, 30 out of 30 ballparks. Andrew Vaughn's home run. Uh, he goes at 106.9 mile per hour velocity, 33 degree launch angle, so a little more of an arcing shot. 3.95, I believe this was also out the left field, 22 out of 30 ballparks. This would have been a home run. So both of them are pretty smoked, pretty hammered baseballs right there uh, when you're getting up to those kind of exit velocities. So, uh, I mean, the rest of the day, it wasn't terrible. It got away from him. He was trying to keep us in it. But when the, the offense isn't scoring any runs, it's really hard to keep your team in the game. It wasn't a super high whiff rate from Logan Allen, only a 28% whiff rate, only a 30% CSW. Wasn't really getting anything fouled off, so that wasn't helping him at all. They put 19 in play, so they were they were putting him in play at an average exit velocity of 91.7. So, yeah, they, they were hammering Logan Allen pretty hard. And then to make matters worse, Eli Morgan comes in out of the bullpen, and he cannot find the strike zone. He has three walks in two thirds of an inning from Eli Morgan. So I mean, at five to one, you feel like okay, maybe we can rally. But at you know seven to one, it's out of hand. Uh, and so Eli Morgan does us no favors by coming in. No command of his pitches. If you go to the illustrator here, he is all over the place. Uh, he's pulling the fast. He's either leaving the fastball high, pulling it across his body, way outside. Can't hit with the slider, really. Can't hit with the changeup, really. I watched one changeup that the catcher was set up, Bo Naylor was set up down and away uh, for the right-handed hitter. So down to the glove side and away. And this pitch ends up all the way back on the inside edge of the plate. So, I mean, he's missing across the entire plate. That's how bad he was missing his locations. So Eli Morgan, uh, who we thought was, you know, super reliable at one point, is has slipped a lot recently. And uh that was hard to watch. Man, you just at one to five, you're like, just keep us in the game, please. Like, give the offense a chance to find something. Uh, but nope, Eli Mer- Morgan just makes matters worse. Um, this offense, moving over to the offensive side of things. They I mean they had a few base runners throughout but they didn't have anything that looked like a rally until way late in this game. I mean they don't get they don't have two base runners on base in any inning until the 7th inning when they put to back when they put together back to back to back singles and they're finally able to score a run and drive Josh Bell in. But uh I mean that's what it took uh to finally get a run across the board in the 7th inning. They'd get guys on with two outs. They'd get guys on and then hit it in a double plays. Like They just were not doing anything that felt even remotely close to some kind of rally until that seventh inning. Now, i got to give Tyler Freeman credit in this at bat. And I told you I was going to try to find the positives. This is something that Ahmed Rosario absolutely would not have been able to do. Uh, Tyler Freeman uh, is able to stay on some ridiculously outside pitches and drives it into right field with... All right, I'm in Rosario, could hit the other way. uh, But I I like the commitment from Tyler Freeman here. Doesn't chase, doesn't try to pull it, doesn't doesn't not swing it for the fences. He realizes the situation and realizes, I've got to put this thing in play. If they're going to pitch me outside, my only hope is to shoot this thing to right field. And he tries it twice. He fouls one off down the right field line first, and then he's able to shoot one between first and second four hit on a pitch that's ridiculously outside. But when you're going that way, you can work with it. Now, uh, I think they said on the broadcast that, like, they like that he can do that, but they don't want him to do it in every at-bat, which I understand. But in this situation here, you weren't going to get it all back with one swing. You, uh, you really haven't been able to get a runner across all day. So I understand wanting to scratch across one run here from Tyler Freeman. I understand the approach, and I, I appreciate it, and I like the approach from Tyler Freeman. Um, but, I mean, other than that, offensively, there isn't there isn't much to like. I mean, they score their second run by Josh Bell grounding into a double play in the ninth inning, which, uh, with runners on the corner, brings home Jose Ramirez. But... Uh, it's a little too late, and you know, grounding into a double play, we're, we're not exactly you know patting you on the back for that, especially this late in the game. In fact, you don't get an RBI if you ground into a double play, so uh, it's it's not the way you want to do things. Uh, so Bell once again proving to be a little bit of a problem in the in the middle of this lineup. Now now maybe it was just an unlucky night for the Guardians, because I mean Bell did absolutely destroy a baseball uh, earlier in this game. He flew out to deep center field, 105 mile per hour exit velocity, 31-degree launch angle, 402 feet to dead center field with an 890 expected batting average. Would have been a home run in 9 out of 30 ballparks, including progressive field, but it is a flyout to Luis Robert in deep, deep center field. So maybe that was just a sign that it wasn't going to be the guardian snipe or maybe Terry Francona getting thrown out in the first inning of this game on that double play. Remember the double play was because Quan uh, Quan was on first Ramirez flies out to left field. The left fielder makes a ridiculous slide diving catch where he actually, um, Remillard actually like backhands the ball while diving, which somehow he doesn't break his wrist, let alone hang on to the baseball. And uh, Quan is doubled up off first base. Allegedly, I, I wouldn't know because the Guardians broadcast was on a close-up of Mike Clevenger the whole time. I swear to God, I don't know what's going on with the TV broadcast sometimes. And uh, we never saw what actually happened at first base, but Quan apparently was doubled off first. Uh, apparently, Sandy Elmar told him to go maybe or something like that. Like they thought the ball was dropped. And Francona wants to challenge, but then he gets into this whole thing with the umpire where he ran out of time to make a challenge, which is so dumb. Like, the point of the challenge is to get the play right. The point of having a replay review is to get the play right. So at least give the Guardians coaching staff a second to review it and see if they want a challenge. Like, I I get that we're trying to speed the game up, but if it's that tight... If it's that tight that the, our manager doesn't even have time to signal to you to challenge the play before you're ready to move on, like what are we doing? Why are we making it that tight? I don't know. It's it's it was it was ridiculous. I get the rule, but it was still ridiculous. Uh, and so Francona gets tossed uh, pretty quickly. That was a pretty quick hook on him. Uh, so yeah. I I, from that moment forward, uh, clearly it wasn't the Guardians' night. Just the fact that Remillard made this catch on Ramirez's ball kind of showed that it wasn't going to be our night. They made a few good defensive plays against us. Johan Mancada at third base uh, made a sick throw across his body. He had a play moving to his right where he didn't just get a throw off across his body and get the runner first. He somehow got, like, some smoke on this ball. He, he got some arm strength behind it. I mean, usually when a guy is falling to his right like that, it's kind of a lollipop throw, right? They, just, they kind of flick it across the diamond. Somehow he still got some, like, muscle behind this throw and really threw one across the diamond to get the runner. So a great defensive play by Moncada there. You, I got to give credit where credit is due. As speaking of which, speaking of which... I totally forgot to mention this in yesterday's episode, Uh, but Andres Jimenez had a great defensive play yesterday uh, where he came like all the way across the right side of the diamond, made a sliding catch on a pop-up. He was moving to cover second with the runner in motion. And so had a double reverses momentum and come all the way back the other way. I just want to shout it out. It's a hell of a defensive effort. Andres Jimenez really is one of the best defensive second baseman in the game. And uh, we need to appreciate that. So, I know sometimes I miss some of the defensive plays, so I wanted to shout that one out. I really, that's all my thoughts on this game. It's a rough one from your Guardians. It it still feels like this team just cannot put it together offensively on a consistent basis, and its it's been the thorn in their side all season. There's talent. We know there's talent in this lineup. It just never seems to show up at the same time. So Quan has a great three, four day, four day leading off, right? And just, I mean, can't get off a of first base. It's just that kind of day. So uh, MVP on the day, I'm going to give it to Quan for three hits. I mean, a three hit day, it's no joke. It takes some work there. So I'm giving it to Quan Nobody else in the lineup uh, really shined. Obviously, no one on the pitching side was really that effective. Henches did come in and clean up. The mess, but at that point in the game, I mean, what are we doing? I mean, Brian Shaw is in the pitch for the White Sox at that point in the game. So it could tell you it could tell you how high leverage of a situation or low leverage of a situation, I should say, that actually was. Glad to see that we let uh, we made sure that Brian Shaw with his eight plus ERA didn't look good, you know, by getting three hits and a run off of him. So at least we didn't make Brian Shaw come out and look fantastic. We hard hit him four times over his two innings. Uh, but that's a that's a very small consolation prize there. So uh, we did make Clevenger look decent. Five innings pitch, two hits, no earned runs, no walks, three strikeouts on 72 pitches. He's only hard hit three times. Might as well tell you what was working for him. Uh, for Clevenger, wasn't a high whiff rate. Nah, it wasn't, wasn't a huge CSW day. 19% whiff rate, 25% CSW. Average exit velocity of 83.5, though. That'll do it. That will do it. Uh, We were, ooh, this is surprising. Our contact rate outside the zone on his fastball. We know we struggle against fastballs sometimes. Outside the zone swinging was 53%. Usually our contact rate is pretty decent even when we're swinging outside the zone. Our outside the zone contact rate was only 56%. So, okay, a uh, little swing and miss outside the zone, even on the fastball there. Uh, usually, Like I said, usually we have a pretty decent contact rate, even when we go outside the zone. That's why we have so many foul balls. There were some at-bats where, guys, he got into some ridiculous battles with, I think, Naylor and Straw, where they were fouling off an insane amount of pitches. Um, so, I mean, it, it seemed at the time like that would be something, but it doesn't turn into anything. Uh, yeah, Naylor has a 10 pitch at bat where he fouls off one, two, three, four, five balls before finally striking out on a high fastball. And then Straw comes up after him, works a 12 pitch at bat where he fouls off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pitches in a row, eight pitches total in the at bat before finally grounding out, uh, on a fastball down and away. Uh, to end the at-bat. So, I, like I said, at the time it seemed like those were good omens, like we were making Clevenger work, but it, it doesn't really turn into anything. All right, uh, that's all my thoughts on this one. Our only email today is from Marlon. <sighs> Marlon goes on a big rant here about the front office being basically mid. Marlon, what I'm going to say here is he points out all these other moves that other teams have made. All the dumb moves that we have made, I just, I think if you look at any front office, Marlon, you're gonna find those things. It hits home because you're analyzing our team. But I bet if you look at the Minnesota Twins, you would find just as many head scratching trades, head scratching moves, draft picks that didn't work out, trades, you know, prospects that don't work out. I mean, these things are are absolute mysteries. Somebody tweeted out the um, the news clipping. of Today was like the anniversary of when we traded Cliff Lee, and we traded two Cy Young pitchers in a row in the two thousands, right? Two seasons in a row: CC Sabathia and Cliff Lee, and they're kind of perfect examples of of what a crapshoot this business is. Because remember, Michael Brantley was not the centerpiece of that trade for C.C. Sabathia. He was the player to be named later, and he turns out being the star of that trade, one of the faces of our franchise for a few seasons there. Um, And same thing with Cliff Lee. I don't think people thought Carlos Carrasco was really going to be the centerpiece of that trade, but he's the one that ends up sticking and ends up having a really successful career uh, out of that trade. So, I, I, I hate to just dig in and just poke at the flaws of a front office because they have made some terrible moves. He, he Marlon points out some absolutely terrible trades that they've made. Uh, the current one that's sticking with everybody is the trades with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Yandy Diaz and Jake Bowers. Tobias Myers we got for them for Junior Caminero, who's like one of the top prospects in baseball right now. So, yeah. You're right. The, we have screwed up with the Rays a lot. At The same time, we've made great trades with other teams and got some real steals from other teams. I, honest, to, honest to God, look at the Lindor trade. I, we got some decent players. We 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 got Andrew Simmons out of that, right? So, uh, all right, Marlin, uh, I appreciate the, I appreciate what you're feeling, and I appreciate the emotions. Uh, I just, I, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to dive into that history and relive that history just because we're in a bad mood because we've lost two in a row to the white Sox. This team has a lot to figure out. This front office has a lot of answers that they owe us. And we're not going to get those answers in a press conference. We're not going to get them. Uh, in a behind-the-scenes interview with Andre Knott. We're going to get them from the moves they make, who they decide is going to be the starting shortstop moving forward, how they're going to deal with the long jam in the middle of the field, how what they're going to do. with the, the trade deadline is still ongoing. There's still time left to make a trade. So uh, we'll see what this front office does here moving forward. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I know it wasn't the happiest episode, but, you know, that's life that's life in baseball and it, it kind of it might be the rest of this season. We're gonna move forward though there's a, there's still a lot to like. We'll see how Logan Allen improves on his fastball against right-handed batters and uh, we'll stay with this team. We'll stay with them. Hang in there. I guess if we take Sunday's game at least we could say we split the series and uh, walk away with our heads held high a little bit uh, in that regard. Uh, and see what we can do moving forward against Houston. All right, again, the final uh, from Chicago, from the south side. It's the White Sox 7, the Guardians 2. We need to find some offense. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Cleveland Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So, thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball morning.